Well, we are continuing our series. If you're joining us for the first time, we have been working through a series titled, Imagine Us. Imagine us. And we are learning how to dream biblical dreams about who we are and who God has called us to be and what he has called us to do. And we have imagined ourselves over the past weeks being authentic, being present in the moment, being compassionate. And today we will imagine ourselves being hospitable. Our scripture comes from Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Jesus loves to talk in parables. He loves to teach using parables. And so this is one of his many parables. We're going to read this together in one voice. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words in Matthew chapter 25. And Lord, this is a deep parable. This is a deep story. And Father, help us to understand the eternal weight of this story. That ultimately, God, as we explore this topic of hospitality, hospitality matters in this life. God, there, there are people's lives in the balance, God. And when we do things for people, we're ultimately doing for you. So, Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts. Lord, we want to be open to you. 
Father, many of us, we come into the church comfortable. We come comfortable and secure in our faith. And there's, there's good things about being secure in the faith because you've achieved it on the cross. But Lord, I pray that you would take us out of our comfort zones and you'd shake us, oh God. Make us uncomfortable today so that we will go and reach the lost, that we will go find those who are wandering, and we will show them the hospitality of Jesus Christ, that they may be saved and they may be counted among the sheep who enjoy eternal life, O oh Lord. So, Father, we want to open our hearts to you today. Speak, Holy Spirit. We're listening. We ask for your blessing this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. You may be seated. Well, as you are aware, if you've been at this church for a while, you know that one of my passions in life is enjoying amazing food. Can I get a good amen? Oh, yeah. Recently, I was overjoyed to hear that one of my favorite American fast food chains were expanding into the Canadian region. And I know that Toronto is a bit of a long drive away from Waterloo, so I decided to prepare a little special something for you, a vlog uh, for those who might not understand what all this, what, what this excitement is about, and maybe it might even motivate you to make the drive and the trip for yourself. Are you ready? Look at the screen behind me. Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. I'm in the car with Dan Davis, my awesome driver, and we are on our way to a special location in the city of Toronto. This is the first Chick-fil-A uh, location in Canada, aside from Calgary, in the airport. And so we are going to get a chicken fix, and we want to take you on the journey. Come on, this is good. I'm on a mission. <laughs> hey guys, we're right in line, we're at Chick-fil-A. I mean, this line wraps around all the way around the building. And so we're in line, in a few minutes we'll get inside and then we'll tell you all about it. Here we go. Yeah, my name's Chris. sauce and honey mustard. Yes, at this location. Yes, I hope so. 
Actually, can I get two more of each? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Everybody, here we are, Chick fil A, and I have my meal in front of me. I'm so excited to eat it. Man, the hospitality was off the charts from beginning to end. The store has been open for just about 10 days, maybe a week. And uh, from the beginning of the line to the moment I got my food, everybody was saying, My pleasure. They're happy that we're here, and we're just about to dig in. Take some sauce, yeah. Take some sauce and you throw it on top, and make it a little bit messy. <laughs> Perfection. All right. Now, unfortunately, I couldn't bring Chick-fil-A for all of you because it's closed on Sunday. So my apologies, uh, sorry to disappoint you, but I would have, it would have been old and stale and I want, it needs to be fresh. And uh, so Chick-fil-A in Toronto, it's here, it's here to stay. All right, some people are fans. Well, above and beyond that delicious chicken, that epic Polynesian sauce, the waffle cut fries and that sweet tea, mm-mm. From beginning to end, Chick-fil-A is famous for setting one of the higher standards for customer service. As you, as you heard many times in this video, they are famous for ending all of their conversations with one powerful phrase, my pleasure. Now we can attribute this to the southern charm that puts you at ease and makes you feel at home, makes you feel cared for. But at a deeper level, this communicates the premium value that Chick-fil-A places on creating a hospitable culture at their restaurant. In spite of all the accusations made against Chick-fil-A by protesters outside of this Toronto location, I am confident that Chick-fil-A will thrive because Canada has never seen the cohesion of great food and great hospitality. You see, we get great food and horrible hospitality, or we get great hospitality and horrible food. So this is the first time, I promise you, you will experience both together in one place. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you even look like. You will be treated the same. And if Chick-fil-A can master the art of hospitality in the fast food industry, I just wonder how much more Christians should extend hospitality to strangers in everyday life. Is it really our pleasure to befriend the person that we do not know, the person who is not from here, or the person who is far away from Christ? I hope it's our pleasure. Well, the question this morning is, what is biblical hospitality? And according to Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, Jesus defines it for us as satisfying hunger with food, quenching thirst with water, welcoming the stranger with an invitation, covering the unclothed, and caring for the sick and the imprisoned. This is what biblical hospitality is. It's important for us to understand today. 
And so this morning, I want to share three points drawn from Matthew 25, 31 to 46, to help us imagine what it means to be hospitable. The first point this morning is hospitality is experience. You know that you have to experience hospitality in order to know the standard of what to give, how to give hospitality. We find this in verses 35 and 36, 42 and 43. The scripture says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. And I was in prison and you came to visit me. Moving down to verse 42. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. I love the fact that we have a beautiful multi-ethnic congregation. As I look around this building, I see people from all different places speaking different languages. I'm so glad that you're here. And this fact should cause us to really question how hospitable we are as a church. Are we a welcoming church? Are we a relational church? And as we have grown over the past three years, at least since I've been here, I know that there's a large percentage of congregants who are foreigners, who are recent immigrants to Canada. We also have a large population of international students. If you're an international student, why don't you wave at me here today? I see them all all over this place. We welcome you. Can we welcome them today? We're glad you're here. Now, some of these people, they have left their families, they've left their friends, they've left their home, they've left their comforts. And like Abraham in the Bible, by faith, they have sojourned to an unfamiliar place for such a time as this, for this season of their lives, perhaps even to stay permanently. Now, some of you have also left home under more difficult circumstances to escape persecution. And now you have found Canada to be this safe refuge in your life and for your family. And I just imagine that some of you are feeling homesick right now. I think that's a real feeling. And if you're new to Canada, maybe you're even new to WPA, our prayer is that you will feel welcome and hospitality, not just from this church, but from every individual believer that is here in this place. We need to do that here first before we can even do it outside the walls of this church. Now for the rest of us, we face another challenge, a challenge of our own. How do we cultivate this heart of hospitality towards the foreigner when we ourselves are born and raised here? That's the challenge. Well, let me take a moment to remind you of who you really are and where you really come from in regards to Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ today, if you would say that I'm a believer, you were once a stranger. You were once a foreigner. You were once far away from God. That's the truth. Until we come face to face with this reality today, friends, we will never understand the biblical impetus for expressing hospitality to others. Ephesians 2, 12 to 13, it reminds us, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen? This is our story. 
God the Father, he extended hospitality by sending us and giving up his beloved son. And we commemorate that every time we participate in communion, taking the bread in our hands, representing his broken body, taking the cup in our hands, representing his shed blood. Not only does he literally satisfy our hunger and quench our thirst, even in this sacred meal, he redeems us. He makes us whole. He restores our soul. That chasm that once separated you and I from God is reconciled through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. See, those who were brought up in a Christian home can have the illusion of never feeling estranged from Christ. There's this illusion. See, Christ is all you have ever known. Church is where you have always been. And for many, the moment of your conversion can even seem like a blur to you. Because you don't remember. There's no separation. It's just all one big story. But you cannot be born into the Christian faith. You can only be born again into the Christian faith. Have you really experienced, do you really appreciate the hospitality of God towards you, friends? If not, we err by becoming spiritually entitled people, God help us, that remain at a distance from people who do not look like us, talk like us, or think like us. In Exodus 23, verse 9, the Lord commands, do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. See, the story of Israel may not be our own biographical story, but it is certainly our shared spiritual story. The redemptive history is our story. God wants our story to be their story. We're no longer slaves as we sung. We're now children of God. And it is the forgiveness of sins that transforms us from being that estranged foreigner to becoming a family member. Second point this morning is hospitality is expected. We see this in verse 40 and we see it again in verse 45. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Later in verse 45, he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. We see that polarization of response. Hospitality is not a recommendation from God to believers. It is the expectation of God from believers. It's not that God needs our hospitality. It's not that it benefits him in any way, but it's that God rejoices in our hospitality because he wants to use it in order to bless people. He wants to use it in order to draw people to himself for his purposes. And God is the recipient of our hospitality, while people are the beneficiaries of our hospitality. Do you understand that today? God receives it. It's an act of worship to God. It's an act of obedience to God. This is our spiritual responsibility. But the people who benefit are the people who receive as well. It's impossible to serve God while disregarding people. Colossians 3, 23 to 24 stresses, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. 
having distinguished what hospitality is. We must now distinguish to whom hospitality is extended. I think we've done this. We've mistakenly seen hospitality as fellowship, Christian to Christian, when it is actually about foreigners, Christians to non-Christians. Do you understand me this morning? We love hanging out with each other. We love doing life together. That's a good thing. But too much of a good thing can turn out into a bad thing. See, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. We have koinonia when we gather together even in this place. This is exactly what we find the early church experiencing and doing in Acts chapter 242. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, koinonia, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Koinonia, a wonderful trait, one of the marks of a healthy church. However, if all we have is fellowship, Friends, we have largely ignored the mission of God. I don't want to disappoint the Lord when I stand before him face to face. See, hospitality is not about making friends. It's about making family. I think we all are somewhat friend deficient. We'd love to make new friends, wouldn't we? I want to meet new people, make lots of new friends, and that's good. That's important. We need people, like-minded people around us, people who challenge us, keep us accountable. But more importantly, we need family. We need family members, people who belong to Christ, brothers and sisters in the Lord. And when you and I, we feed, we clothe, we invite, we care for the strangers and the foreigners and the unbelievers, we display our biblical understanding of hospitality. You see, the Greek word for foreigner is xeno. And this is the root word from where we get the term xenophobia, which is that irrational fear of strangers. You don't have to be afraid of strangers. From a young age, children in Canada are conditioned to being afraid of strangers. We use that rhyme, stranger danger. We protect our kids and we shelter them and and our parents sheltered us and we're now perpetuating this generation to generation to generation. But God is calling us away from xenophobia, from a fear of strangers towards philoxena, which means the love of strangers. If we don't love them, how can we reach them? I want you to notice two things in verse 40. The first is that the king in this parable refers to the, to the individuals whom the sheep have showed hospitality towards as brothers and sisters. Jesus refers to those estranged people as brothers and sisters. Can you and I see strangers, foreigners, and unbelievers as Jesus sees them, as future family members of the body of Christ? Second is what is that whatever we do for the least, we do for the greatest. This is the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. It does not operate using the same principles of our earthly kingdoms. It's very different. And when you serve the least, you serve the greatest. You serve God. And so in this parable, the sheep and the goats, they had equal opportunity to exercise hospitality while living. And whatever we choose to do and whatever we choose not to do ultimately reflects on the vitality of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Every decision matters because every person matters to God. Our human relationships are so intertwined with our divine relationship. 
So my encouragement to you today is raise the bar. Raise the bar so high that you demonstrate the same level of hospitality towards people that you would extend to Jesus Christ if he is in the room right now. Thirdly, this morning, hospitality is evaluated. A hospitality is evaluated. We see this in verses 31 to 34 and then also in verse 41. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. These are hard words for us to hear. Sometimes we like to pretend that hell does not exist. We like to just imagine that heaven exists and all of us are going there no matter what. Well, that's not the case. At a first glance, we are confronted with what seems to be a theological discrepancy. Could Jesus be contradicting his own message by saying that we are saved by works, by the hospitality that we're offering? while the rest of the Gospels affirm that we are saved by grace through faith? Is that what Jesus is saying? I don't think that's the case. I think Jesus is consistent through and through. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a secure salvation. Nothing can shake that. But we can choose to turn away from that. See, the duplicity is not in Jesus. The duplicity is in us. There's a good reason as to why the king, in his righteous judgment, divided all the nations of the world into two groups. You see, sheep and goats alike will be evaluated. They will be held accountable for the way they live their lives. When standing before the king, some of those who thought that they were eternally secure will discover that they were eternally insecure. Instead of come, the king will say, depart. Instead of heaven, the reality will be hell. And this parable serves as a warning to Jesus' disciples. It serves as a warning to the Pharisees in that time and the duplicity in their lives. It serves as a warning to us today. Will you be counted among the sheep or will you be counted among the goats? What is Jesus trying to say in this parable about our eternity. He's saying that it's not adequate enough to claim to be a Christian. You must behave as a Christian. Otherwise, when it comes to eternity and the rewards of eternity, you will be treated as a non-Christian. Hard word. So salvation is not a safety net. Some of us come into church and we, we've, we've made that decision to follow Jesus and we've just been sitting on that decision our whole lives. We've grown comfortable. We don't do anything. We don't feel uh, upon our hearts the responsibility to reach the lost. And we're just riding on the benefits of our salvation. And all just in case this eternal life stuff turns, not, turns out to be real, 
We're just banking on this promise. We cannot enjoy the perks of salvation and then live whatever way we want to live. See, as a just king, Jesus will evaluate the fruit of your salvation. He's going to evaluate it. Every person. And he's going to evaluate us based on what we've done. So deeds do matter. James tells us later. Deeds do matter because it affirms our faith. It affirms the decisions we've made. So with the disciples and the Pharisees in mind, with us in mind, hospitality is one of the primary ways Jesus authenticates believers from unbelievers. On the other hand, I also want you to consider how we are called to be set apart. We like this. We like to be called to be set apart. It's it's what we're called to do. Some of us have taken this to the extreme so that we only speak to Christians and we no longer speak to strangers and to foreigners and to unbelievers. You see, Christians have traditionally been separatists. We want to separate from the world. We want nothing to do with the world, and that's biblical. There's truth to that. Consider the province of Quebec. You'll see the flag behind me. For years, Quebec's separatist movement has expressed a desire to leave Canada and to become their own independent, sovereign country. And Canada would not be Canada without Quebec. To part would be to disconnect the eastern provinces from one another, totally to disconnect the country. And in the same way, Christians would not be Christians without living out their faith in this world. We can't escape and just hide in our own conclave by ourselves. We need to go out into the world and preach the gospel. We look at John 17, 14 to 18 for greater clarity. The scripture says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. What is Jesus saying? Well, to summarize, he's saying this. Believers are from another world. Because of our salvation through Jesus Christ, we are not of this world. We're of another world. And believers yet coming from this other world, are sent into this world. But then, here's the clarification. We're not to be of this world. Jesus is giving us a kingdom clue here. Biblical hospitality is the most radical and untapped strategy for gospel witness that advances the kingdom. If you want to see God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, you need to get more comfortable. I need to get more comfortable with extending hospitality to people. They will know him by our love. So if hospitality can bring more people into eternal life, why are we refusing to be hospitable? My prayer is that we would become all less selfish and less comfortable. And my prayer is that we would become more hospitable so that when this parable becomes reality, and it will, there will be more sheep receiving their eternal inheritance and there will be less goats receiving their eternal punishment. Do you understand the urgency of the mission today, friends? This is a life or death issue. We need to reimagine our faith today. 
as we conclude this morning. I know this message sounds daunting. It sounds difficult. It's calling us out from our comfort zone. And I know that we as Christians, we do love the Lord with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. But perhaps we have not done everything he has called us to do. Who are the least of these in your life that only you can reach? Let me repeat that again. Who are the least of these in your life that only you can reach? You might be the only representation of Christ that they may ever know. So ask yourself these questions today and later this week. Whose stomach can I feed? Whose thirst can I quench? Who will I invite or welcome? Who will I clothe? Who will I care for in the midst of their sickness? Who will I visit in the midst of their loneliness? Who? Who will you visit? Who will you minister to? And if only we would open our eyes to the strangers and to the foreigners and to the unbelievers all around us, we will see numerous opportunities to extend hospitality. You see, you're not just telling them about how much he cares for them. You are showing them how much he cares for them. So tell me, what is a more compelling witness than being the hands and feet of Jesus? It's no greater witness. Let's pray.